Dear Heavenly Father, once again we are assembled here together on a beautiful Sunday morning and we thank you for the freedom that we have to assemble. We thank you that we can sing the grand old hymns of the faith. And Lord, we ask that our worship in song would be acceptable, that the Holy Spirit would be able to encourage each of us to sing in the way that we should. Lord, we pray for the special music this morning. I pray that as the preacher that I'd be able to present your truth from your word in a simple and honest way. And yet, Lord, the greatest preacher in the world is of no help at all unless the Holy Spirit has freedom to work in the hearts and the ears of the listeners that we may hear and understand your word and Lord, that your word would do its work in our hearts and in our lives, and we would leave this place changed. We ask you to bless the offering, the invitation, each part of the service, that it would bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've done nothing to deserve his grace or his goodness, and the children and the toddlers and children's churches may be dismissed at this time. The rest of us... Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And uh, this morning, I'd like us to read a few verses here, starting in verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 5. And before we read the text, I'd, I'd like to set a little context for that. Uh, we live in a world that is full of of burdens and cares. How many would say uh, that is true in my life? There are things happening I wish weren't happening in my life. There are things that I'm concerned about. If you're certainly not concerned about world events and what's going on, it's just simply because you choose to ignore all of the trouble in our world today. And often, as we think of all this trouble and, and, and reversals and things like this, we think of a verse. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That's verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 5. And that is a great verse. It's a verse we ought to resort to often. On the other hand, we, we live in a world that is run by the devil and his servants. Do we not? Evil is good. Good is evil. And uh, everywhere we go, trying to serve the Lord, trying to do what is right. You're just under attack. And so what verse do we quote? Verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We quote these verses often. I mean, if, if you're not living these verses daily, I, I will tell you, you are being crushed by the load of the burdens and you are being overcome by the attack of the devil. But I would like for us to really examine... Uh, uh, as we put these verses in the scriptural context that's prepared for them by the Holy Spirit as Peter wrote these words, our attention really ought to be drawn to verse 10. 
And what I want to do is start reading in verse 5 and read right through verse 10. But I want you to keep in your mind as we read this that that the, the real theme of this passage is not casting your cares on him. It is not resisting the devil. It is verse 10, verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But, but, the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. What I'd like to preach about this morning is the God of all grace. I'll tell you, our theme is be still and know God. Amen? It is that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. If you want to know God, if you want to have that relationship with Him, the word grace is there. Now, I did not pick the songs for this morning, uh, but I couldn't think of a better song to pick than grace greater than our sins to preach this sermon as a prelude. And, and, and that's just something that the Lord works out, and we trust that the Holy Spirit is, is working without a manipulation and a planning of things. And I love the special, the king and the beggar. You know, if you ever get thinking of yourself any more than a beggar, you're in trouble. You're in deep, deep spiritual trouble. And so, as Peter is closing his letter here, he speaks to the pastors in in verses 1 through 4, and then he speaks to the church. Uh, that is the context. The pastor is the pastor of the church. And now he's speaking to the people who are members of the church. And, and uh, every once in a while, in fact, I was having a discussion with one of my uh, uh, children. Uh, they said, well, uh, the Lord only calls people to ministry, right? And, and we do believe there is such a thing as a call to the ministry that God uh, not in an audible voice, but He will lead you and separate your life for the gospel ministry. We believe that He does that. But every person who calls themselves a Christian has a calling, has a life path that God has put for them. The problem is we often don't find it. Uh, and then we wonder why we carry so many burdens that are crushing us. We wonder why we fall prey to the devil and his servants. And we need to look 
at this passage here. You see, what we need is grace. For by grace are ye saved. Through faith. Now, if I were to ask this morning, in fact, let's just, how many of you, if, if, if you could, if there was a way just to say, I want more grace, and we had a cup of grace here, a pitcher, and we would pour it out and give everybody a separate cup, germs and stuff, amen. Uh, uh, how many of you would be in line? I mean, we'd have a line out into the street of people waiting. But we are talking about the God of all grace. The God of all grace. Now, please don't misunderstand. We are not of that number that believe that God gives you a a receptacle there and dribbles a little bit of grace in as you are baptized as a baby and a little bit more as you uh, partake of the sacraments and then a little bit less when you do something really bad. Uh, That is not in the Bible anywhere. When God saves you, He saves you completely. We of all people ought to be most joyous. But as Christians, oftentimes... We're not enjoying the trip. And the reason is, is because we're not living in God's grace as we should. And so, I want us to look at this passage. And we're going to start here in verse 5 as he is beginning. That is the context here. That is, he stops speaking to the pastors in verse 4. And it says, Ye younger, submit yourselves... Unto the elder. And every time I read that passage, I'm reminded early on in our church's history. Our church will be 25 years old this year. And so that makes me a very, very young man when the church started. Amen? And as I was the pastor, I mean, for the first six months... Uh, most of you weren't here for that. Somebody would say, Pastor, and I'd turn around, Brother Thompson's here? No, it, it was me. And, and uh, it took a while, but we had an older gentleman in the church, and, and he began to take it upon himself to instruct uh, people in the church. And I, I had to sit down with him and say, Now, now, now Brother, you, you cannot do this. He says, But I'm the elder of the church. And I said, uh, no, uh, you're not. I said, you may be the older, elder person in the church, but when that term is used in the Bible, elder, it's talking about the, the pastor usually. In this passage, it's talking about people that are older uh, but, uh, and younger, but the context is not just simply age. It's faith. It's relationship with God. And I, in my late 20s, had to address a man in his late 70s and explain to him that I was actually older than he was in the faith, which was true. And that if you're going to uh, serve in in the church, if you're going to be a part of what's going on here, 
there has to be an understanding to follow the leadership so that we can do things right. Unfortunately, it wasn't a very happy ending. He, he took great offense at that. But you see, when we look to ourselves, we get in trouble. You know, yesterday was an extremely frustrating day at Union. We had had a few things left over. Just some simple tasks that we wanted to, I wanted to clean up. Uh, stray, uh, as they were putting up the wall. I won't give you all the horrid details. But anyway, we had a lot of electrical cables that got disconnected and just, well, not all the way disconnected. That's the problem. And so just, and, and I'm thinking, this is simple. I'll take Stevie and Philip over there and, and uh, we'll just get this done. You know what I was saying to myself? I know how to do this. This is simple. This isn't going to be a problem. I'm going to get this done. I'm just going to get it done. And everything imaginable went wrong. And I'm sitting there going, why is this such a terrible job? And I realized something. I was relying on me. After having driven nearly 5,000 miles in the last seven days, there wasn't much of me left. It didn't go very... It wasn't a pleasant experience. I'm glad that I just had my sons there and nobody else could see, but uh, sometimes you, you just have to get along with God and get over your temper tantrum and get your eyes off you and put them back on Jesus where they belong. Now, no one else here has ever done that, now have they? Oh, we, we all do that. It's a daily struggle. That's why Peter tells them, Younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Let's follow in the faith. But look what it says here. It, it goes on. Yea, yes, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. I mean, what does that mean to be clothed with humility? Well, I'll tell you, all you have to do is walk down Steinway Street a few blocks and you can find out what clothed or unclothed without humility is, right? I mean, uh, you, you'll see them. Uh, uh, you come walking around the corner, or turn. I, I've had this happen while I'm driving, and all of a sudden I see a pair of shoes walking up the sidewalk. I mean, they are so bright. Uh, you would think somebody had plugged them in and hooked batteries up to them. Uh, in fact, you can actually buy those, I believe. Uh, somebody told me there's a pair of sneakers that had lights in them. Not the little kitty ones that blink when you... But this was for adults. And I'm sitting there going, you've got to be kidding me. You see, humility is giving other people the benefit of the doubt. How many of you have been cut off in traffic? And it's always that stupid so-and-so in the black BMW that did it, or Lexus. They say the rudest drivers drive black BMWs. Now, I, I don't know. I'm just quoting the thing. Uh, my, my, my issue has always been New Jersey plates. Uh, 
because they always want to get back home. And uh, it's just personal. I'm nothing against New Jersey, honest and truly. But we always blame it on the other person, don't we? You know what? That's not humility. Because I didn't make the mistake. I was on the right. I was stopped there first. I had the right of way. You're supposed to wait for me, not blow through the stop sign on a California stop. I mean, you know what one of those is. Uh, exercise them regularly. No, don't do that around here. You're going to get in trouble. Listen. It says clothed with humility. It's amazing. We'll look up something on the internet and believe it. And yet, how many times have I had people come to me and say, Now, Pastor, what do you, uh, what do you think about... Uh, well, I actually preached on that last week. I think you were there. Oh, but, but I read this here. Okay, wait a minute. Clothed with humility. It's not thinking about me first. It's thinking about other people. Now, we don't have time to chase this one this morning, but if you really want to understand what this is talking about, this is really the thought that was in the mind of the framers of the Declaration of Independence when they used the phrase, the pursuit of happiness. It is, I have the right to order my life in a way that is going to best benefit the nation in which I live. Is going to help others. Now the Bible has that clearly defined. How do I know that I love the people of God, the children of God? Does anybody remember the verse? We've quoted it often here of late. By keeping His commandments. If I love God and keep His commandments, I automatically love those around me. Now, not a one of us would hold our hand up and say, I have loved God perfectly this last week. Uh, therefore, we're not clothed with humility. Therefore, we could use a little work there. You know why? The next phrase is, God resisteth the proud, right? For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. I asked a few minutes ago, how many of you would like more grace? And everybody's going, yeah, 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 I'm not going to raise my hand, but uh, I could use some more grace. Humility. It is the receptor of grace. You cannot receive God's grace until you get past yourself. You cannot receive God's grace to help you go to heaven until you've surrendered yourself and your ability and have asked Jesus to save you. Amen? And you've heard me say this many, many times, and I'll be saying, because I need to hear it again and again myself. The way you got saved is the way you live every day. So it's a surrender. It's a humility of my humbling of myself that allows God's grace. If you want to know the name of that cup that God actually gives the Christian, 
you have saving grace. You're never going to lose your salvation. But everything else in your life depends upon God's grace as well as your salvation. Amen? Are we in agreement to that? Now, if you want to take the lid off the cup and get some grace, that's why the next verse says, Humble yourselves therefore. Why? Because God giveth grace to the humble under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. You see, God has a place for you to serve. But you know why so many people never find the place that God has for them to serve? Because they're too busy making a place for themselves to serve. They're too busy trying to do things on their own. They're too busy trying to get things done, like me with the electrical work over there, just cleaning up a few things. Hey, I can handle this. No, you can't handle it. You can't handle anything. How many of you remember the story of Jesus telling the disciples to go to the other side of Galilee? Mark chapter 4. Hey, we can handle it. says they took him as he was and put him in the ship. Jesus, you've given us something we can do. Let's do it. They couldn't do it, could they? They couldn't get, in fact, they come to him and say, as he was sleeping in the boat, and the water was covered his feet and lapping up his garments, saying, don't you care? We're drowning. The boat is going to sink, and we're all going to die. Uh, Jesus said, man, what, what is your problem? I said we're going to the other side, but you're not trusting in me, you're trusting in you. So I'm going to reduce the margin of safety. Not beyond my margin, but well beyond yours. So that you'll get scared enough to stop doing it your way and start trusting me in my way. Can we say amen to that? You see, I can tell you this in 25 years of pastoring this church and knowing other pastors and There's never been a problem in our church, no matter how small or how big, without a whole lot of pride stuffed in the middle of it. And you see, when we stop looking for ourselves and how we're going to be used, that's when God can give us that place of service that we think we so desperately deserve. People want recognition. It's part of human nature. Hey, Mom, look at this! As he rides handless right into a pole. Don't tell me how many of you have done that. Uh, It is built into our human nature to look at me. Why do you think they dye their hair 15 different colors? It's because they're trying to say, look at me, I'm somebody, I'm worth something. And then they commit suicide because no one answers them. That's what happens in our world today. But if I'll humble myself, God will give me grace. He'll take the lid off the cup and fill it up. And the old preacher B.R. Lakin said, you need to get it full, so full that it runs over the side and fills the saucer. 
He said, then runs down on the table, that way everybody gets home. You see, that's how God has intended for us to be a blessing to others. Is when we get so full of Jesus that it runs out. The problem is most of us are picking it up and saying, here, let me give you a little bit of this and a little bit of this. Well, there's not any more left, but I'll get a cloth here and dab it out. and maybe just... That's how we live our life and we wonder why we don't get our prayers answered, our burdens lifted, our joy fulfilled. It's because we refuse to humble ourselves. This is the receptor. This is how you get grace. The next verse says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. How many of you know what a panic button is? That's when everything goes wrong. Ah! Sound the alarm. When in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout. Right? No. doesn't accomplish anything. If you want to push the button that takes the grace out of the cup and puts it in your life, the actuator, if you like that word, you have a receptor, you have the actuator, that is casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. You know, when when I cast my care upon him, I'm no longer looking to me to solve the problem. You know what? That takes a lot of pressure off. Because there's only so much of me. And I know some people have talents and abilities, and man, they just never seem to run out. I mean, the Energizer Bunny just and never quit. But when is the last time the Energizer Bunny did anything good? We don't need that kind of Christianity. What we need is to cast our cares upon Him, is to give that burden to Him. It is understanding. I may remember the story of Mary and Martha. Jesus had met them several occasions and they were having a feast and Mary sat at His feet and Jesus and Martha was doing all the preparations. She said, Carest thou not? Bid my sister to help me. Jesus said, Mary's chosen that good part, and it's not going to be taken away from her. Hey, somebody has to fix the food, yeah. Somebody has to do some work, yes. But when I understand that Jesus cares for me far much more than I could ever care for myself, and if you ever have a question about that, just stop, get out a piece of paper. And write down all the things that you do to make to take care of yourself. Not trying to get personal here, but how many of you have a whole shelf full of little lotions and potions and all of these things that are supposed to take away wrinkles and make you look better and make you feel rejuvenated and all people have that stuff. Men are probably worse than ladies when it, if the truth were really known. I mean, I, I think about getting a cup of coffee. Now, I like coffee. But I, I like good coffee. And I like just one Splenda and lots of cream. And 
I, I enjoy my coffee my way. You know what? When I understand that he cares for me more than I can care for myself, it helps me let go of the steering wheel and let him carry the burdens. You see, that's where grace starts working. But it doesn't just start working there. It keeps working. You see, Christianity isn't for a day. It's not something we put on Sunday morning. It's not something we just do when we feel like we're Christians. It's something that we're supposed to live 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I was here working on something in the building and I had my big safety goggles on and my work clothes and somebody said, Is that you, Pastor? Yeah, yeah. But but you're not wearing... I've never seen you dressed that way. Well, I'm working today. i got work clothes on. You see, we have to understand that our Christianity is all the time. One dressed for Sunday preaching, one dressed for work, when I'm taking my grandbabies to the park. That was fun. But listen, and the kids too. Uh, but let me tell you something. What we do, we're supposed to do in a spirit of humility, understanding who God is and who I am. I can't do it. So I must cast my care upon Him and ask for grace. And that grace is applied to my life. But we don't want grace for just a one-time event here. We want to continue. And so that gets us down to verses 7, I mean 8 and 9. This is the perpetrator. This is the, the keeper honor, however you want to put it there. The thing that keeps you going is to be sober. The word sober simply means moderate. Temperate, avoiding excess. How many of you were sober when we passed out peach cobbler and vanilla ice cream on the family fun night? Well, Jason comes back up to me and goes, no, I have some more. Now, nobody needs more cobbler less than Jason does. And he comes up again. Other people have gotten some more. Can't, can't I get some more? And finally going, you're breaking my heart, kid. Go go get some more. <laughs> but sober is moderation. Uh, that doesn't mean uh, sometimes, especially when you go to a restaurant around here, eating everything on your plate. Because that's not moderation. Uh, it is fun, I'll tell you that. It's a battle. It's something you got to be sober. Be vigilant. How many of you drive in New York City? You drive. Car. Okay. Do you understand what the word vigilant means? 
you're watching for those incredibly intelligent and well-versed bicycle riders who are saving the planet by riding down the middle of the traffic lane at two miles an hour. You've got to watch for the pedestrians. According to our mayor, they never make a mistake. It's only automobile drivers who make mistakes. You've got to watch for other drivers who forget that this is the United States of America. And and there are traffic rules. Uh, You have to remember those other ones who think that they're the only car on the road. You've got to watch for everybody and everything. Constantly. And if you don't, you're going to get in a wreck. That's all there is to it. Or you're going to run over somebody. Which would be a terrible thing. We don't want to hurt. Don't even want to run over a squirrel. Honest and true. Now, pigeons, it's very tempting. But they're usually a little faster. But, you know, we're not looking to, to cause any ill event. The only way you can do that, you've got to watch everything. Be sober. Be vigilant. You see, this is what keeps grace working. See, the first thing we want to do is just relax when the Lord's carrying all those burdens. And I'm not thinking about myself anymore and I just have a freedom of mind and soul that God intended me to have. And just shift in the neutron coast. Bang! There you go. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because the moment you relax, the devil's going to be there to get in. That's, that's what it's... He's seeking whom he may devour. He is walking around. He is searching. What does the Bible say that we're supposed to do? Whom resist with the sword of the Spirit and the armor of God. Is that what your Bible says? No. You, you get tuned into one of these preachers say, I'm armed with the sword of the Spirit and you just slay the... Oh boy. Stay away from those people. The defeat of the devil is not your job. That's Jesus' work. Don't you go chasing demons. You just might find one. Read about the sons of Sevka in the book of Acts. Uh, that, that was not a pleasant experience, let me tell you. It says, whom resists steadfast in the faith? I, I get calls all the time. Pastor, does your church deal with curses? Uh, somebody's put a curse on me and I'm going, oh yes, we handle that. Oh, oh, wonderful. Now, here's how it works. You've got to resist the devil steadfast in the faith. So I'll see you in church on Sunday, right? Because that's what faith tells you. Oh, well, you know, I got things to do. and uh, Okay, well, then you're not resisting the devil. It's resisting the devil is steadfast in the faith. It's being where I'm supposed to be. It's being in my place. Well, how can I be in my place if I'm not humble? How can I be in my place if I'm not letting Jesus carry the cares that would distract me and keep me? 
You see, God's grace is working in a pattern here. Whom resists steadfast in the faith. What is the one lie that the devil tells over and over and over again? Nobody suffered like you're suffering. Nobody has to deal with what you're dealing with. You're you're just such a unique person. You have more than any other person ought to be able to bear. Is that what your Bible says? No, your Bible says, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Don't believe the devil's lie. He said, but you, 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 I, I don't, I wish I had a dollar for everyone. So you're lucky. You grew up in a Christian family and you got a Christian wife and you got a Christian home. What, you know how that happened? In the faith. That, that's how that, it's not luck. It's in the faith. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. If you're standing behind Jesus, can the devil bother you? No, the problem is you're not standing behind Jesus. Because you haven't cast all your cares upon him, you haven't accepted the fact that he cares for you more than you can care for you. And so you're over here just trying to make sense out of this miserable life and you've just painted a big target on yourself. For the devil to do what he wants. Isn't that what happened to Peter the night Jesus was betrayed? I'm going to take care of you, Jesus. Oh, really? How well did that work out, my friend? It didn't. Because it's Jesus who takes care of me. Not me who takes care of Jesus. Amen? You see, I'm not the only one... That is going through difficulties of life. But there's only one answer to the difficulties I face. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church. There's only one answer for what's going on in my life. And it's the same answer for your life. Can we say amen to that? And see, then we get to verse 10. We're through the introduction. Are you ready? Ready for the sermon now. You see, the sermon is verse 10. But the God of all grace. Now, how do we get that grace? Humble yourselves. How do we actuate that grace? Make it work? Cast all your care upon Him. How do we keep working? Be sober, be vigilant. Resist the devil in the faith. Then we have the God of all grace. Why? Because every part of my life is surrendered to God's grace. Every part of my life is a receptacle to receive God's grace and to use God's grace. He hath called us unto His eternal glory. I don't understand that fully, but I'll tell you what, heaven is going to be God telling all those people in heaven and the angels the good things that He did through faith in your life. How long is your presentation going to be, my friend? 
And we have brother so-and-so. You have to watch this one close because it's short. Boop, all done. Next up, next up. Now, I hope you don't end up like that. But if you want God's grace to do something in your life, that's what he's called us to. I want to show you all the problems that I solved in this person's life. And in spite of all the pain and the suffering, they still had joy because they were willing to cast their cares upon me. In spite of all the attacks of the devil and the evil world in which they lived, they still lived for me. The God of all grace. Now look at this next phrase. This We don't like this. After that you have suffered a while. Hello? said, I knew there was a catch somewhere. Do you know that God has a purpose and a plan in suffering in our lives? He's got to do a work. And if he's going to make us what we ought to be, now here's, here's the sermon. Look what it says. Make you perfect. Now, I want to read the textbook, the, the, the definition of the word perfect. Thoroughly made, formed, done, performed, carry out, or accomplished. Of a legal act, duly completed. Definition number two. Fully accomplished, thoroughly versed, trained, skilled, or conversant. Definition three. In a state proper to anything when completed, complete, having all the essential elements, qualities, or characteristics not deficient in any particular. Now, when I say the word perfect, what's the first thought that comes to your mind? Nobody's perfect. Oh, so you're not grown up yet. You don't have all your fingers, all your toes. You don't, uh, you're not an adult. Uh, sometimes I feel like Asking someone across the desk, uh, what are you going to be when you grow up? The only problem is they're in their 50s. And uh, you can't ask that question because it would be mean. And, uh, but it would be no less true because they haven't grown up yet. You see, God wants you to grow up. He wants to make you perfect. Nothing lacking, complete in Him. That's what the word perfect means. It doesn't mean without any blemish. That is a brand new definition to a very old word. We often use the word perfect as an excuse to settle for something less. When the word perfect simply means fully done, complete. God wants you to be complete in Him. Now, you know what that means? That means as you grow up as a Christian, after ten years in church, you shouldn't need your spiritual diaper changed. Amen? You should be able to stand on your own two feet. Does that mean you don't need preaching and you don't need to fellowship? No. What it means is 
You understand your need for the fellowship of the church and your part in the church. And you willingly participate because being clothed in humility is going to help other people that are there. Amen? It is the idea of being grown up for the Lord. And it says, establish is the next word. Let me read the definition. To set a person, etc., permanently in an office, dignity or condition. To ordain permanently. Wow, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? God says, listen, I want to make you perfect. That's what grace is going to do. The God of all grace is going to make you perfect. He's going to grow you up. You're not going to be a spiritual baby anymore. You're going to be able to help others. Not because of what's in you, but because of God in you. Amen? It's not going to be looking to yourself because you've already taken care of that. You're going to be established. You're going to be set in an office. You're going to be given the dignity of the title of Son of God. And He's got work for you to do. Then the next one is strengthen. To give moral support, courage, or confidence. Boy. You know... I just got a problem with self-esteem. I just can't believe anything good about me. Neither can I. That's not the problem here. You don't need to believe anything good about you. You need to start believing something good about Jesus and He'll strengthen you. He'll give you the confidence to serve Him. He's not going to give you confidence to do anything else, by the way. He'll give you confidence to be His servant. That's what the definition... To encourage, hearten, in spirit, fix, in resolution, to give physical strength to, make stronger or more robust, to increase the functional vigor. How many of you say, I could use a little strengthening? I'll tell you what. All of us could. But we get that through grace. What's the last one? Settle. It says, After that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle. To place a person in an attitude of repose. That means rest. So as to be undisturbed for time. To dispose oneself comfortably, adjust one's position on a chair, etc., with the intention of remaining seated. How many of you do that? I'm going to get the comfortable pillow in the right place, and I'm going to, whatever, watch the ball game. I don't understand how you can sit there and relax in all this comfort with soft drinks and food, and watch these guys on the field exert all of that energy. It just never has made sense to me. But anyway, it happens. The Bible says that God wants to make you perfect. He wants to establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. Now, in the last few minutes, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 23, if you would. The 23rd Psalm. And I just want to illustrate something that I think will help you understand both passages. It surely did for me better. 
Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Does that sound like make you perfect? Complete in Him? Anything, nothing missing? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That word want means have something missing. God will make you perfect. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. How about, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still, thus still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. To set permanently in an office, dignity, or condition. To give moral support, courage, confidence, to encourage, hearten, in spirit, fix in... I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong definition. To ordain permanently. Does that sound like that? That He maketh me to lie down in green pastures? That's a pretty... Great condition, isn't it? He leadeth me in the beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He keeps me in the place and the strength and the power that He wants me to be in. Then we get to verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff. They comfort me. Does that sound like strengthen? Amen? And then how about, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Now, when I've been driving for 10 or 12 hours, I like to eat standing up. But most of the time, I prefer to eat sitting down. How about you? You see... That's settled. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That sounds like settled to me. How about you? You see, the God of all grace wants to do some pretty fantastic things in the life of every person that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're going to receive that grace, first you've got to humble yourself. Secondly, you've got to cast all your cares upon Him. Thirdly, you have to be sober and be vigilant. You have to resist the devil steadfast in the faith. Then the Lord, after that you have suffered a while, is going to make you perfect. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's going to establish you. He leadeth me, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He wants to strengthen you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For Thou art with me, Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. He wants to settle you. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. 
Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The God of all grace. How is that working in your life? Not going to start until you get saved. But once you get saved, God wants to do those things. And the reason He's not is because we're not. It's just that simple. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You in prayer. We ask that You would work in our hearts and our minds that we would see how simple Your Word truly is. And the most complex things of the Scripture are very simple. But Lord, You would want to make us perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle our souls. Not only for this life, but for eternity to come. And yet, Lord, if each one of us here were honest with You, There may be some that have never truly surrendered their soul in salvation. Lord, this this message is meaningless to that person other than you need to trust Jesus to get saved. Lord, we have others that are struggling with humility, with carrying their own burdens, with not resisting the devil, with not being sober and vigilant, not resisting in the faith, but trying some other way. And Lord, each and everything that is not ordained in Your Word is bound to failure. We ask that Your Word would open our eyes to see ourselves. And Lord, that truly and honestly we could come to You. Start at the beginning and get that receptor by humbling ourselves and acting upon that grace by casting our care and keeping in God's grace daily by being sober and vigilant and resisting the devil in the faith. Not moving from it, not adding to it, not taking away, but just... And Lord, let our, let our hearts be drawn to that passage that we know so well and understand that what you want to do is what David outlined in that psalm. That you want to make us perfect because you're the good shepherd. You want to establish us by giving us set paths to go in and an office. You want to strengthen us And you want to settle us forever. Lord, will you do your work that we may bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.